Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Good evening, I'm Mangino. Welcome. Great to have you. There's a lot of talk about unifying the country. Uh, how we can come together. I mean, we all call ourselves Americans, right? We are the United States of America. There's no talk of one state legitimately wanting to leave, although there was this little side story about a lawmaker in Texas, but that's not happening. Although there is a belief that in America that uh, we could see another civil war. And we are clearly divided along party lines to where verbally we are fighting. It's almost like a civil cold war, kind of like the cold war with the Soviets didn't actually battle with each other. We just had these um, aggressions uh, toward one another. And it seems as though a lot of that's going on right now in this country. Is there a way of being able to get back to looking at each other as United States citizens being first and foremost, or will this continue to rage on? And can a country continue to be what it has been as a world leader, as an economic power, as a dominant force, and be divided all at the same time? Let's talk about this. Spencer Critchley is my guest. He's the author of Patriots of Two Nations, Why Trump Was Inevitable, and What Happens Next. Spencer, welcome to KDKA Radio. Good to have you on. Oh, I'm really glad to be here. Thank you. I appreciate you making time for us. Patriots of Two Nations, uh, what was the genesis of this book? Well, I worked on both of Barack Obama's presidential campaigns, and I helped out a little bit with Hillary's campaigns uh, in the primary and the general. And I didn't do all that much because I really didn't think I was needed, like lots of other Democratic political people. We all assumed that, of course, she was going to win. And when she lost, I was as shocked as anybody else, and that was really the genesis of this book. I spent the years since 2016 uh, trying to figure out what just happened to me and to the country, much more importantly. And it ended up leading me all the way back through history. I thought that a lot of the analyses I was hearing were partially true, but not the whole story. And what I finally ended up discovering was we have really been divided this way since the founding of the country. And I, you know, it sounds presumptuous to say it, but I think the founders actually made a mistake in their uh, concept for the country as a civic nation founded on enlightenment reason and didn't realize that you can't just declare such a thing uh, into existence as, as wonderful an idea it was. And it never fully took hold. And why do you believe that's the case? Why did it not fully ever take hold? This aspect of an enlightening reason 
will guide the path for individuals to ultimately come to wise conclusions. Right, and and we these are the consequences we see now when people talk about it, having the feeling like they're arguing across two completely different realities. As I say in the book, I, I believe that's actually true, and that those are the two nations that I'm referring to. People feel intensely patriotic on either side of this divide, but they're patriotic to two completely different concepts of what the country is. The reason I think it failed, uh, or partially failed, obviously in many ways the United States has been just a wonderful success, um, <clears throat> was that the founders were trying to change millennia of human history, which had been based on faith, not reason, and a completely different way of thinking. It's hard for us uh, Enlightenment descendants to even imagine what it would have been like to think in the pre-Enlightenment mode when people believed in witchcraft and signs from heaven, you know, the weather was a sign of God being angry or happy, for example, believed that your leader was chosen by God and was kind of an expression of the nation itself and had the most noble blood in the nation. You know, it's hard for us to imagine thinking like that, but that's the way people thought for most of human history in non-rational ways that were also deeply meaningful to them in terms of faith, intuition, culture, art, and their identity, which is a combination of race and uh, culture and religion. And the founders of the United States, acting under the inspiration of Enlightenment thinkers like Voltaire and Rousseau and John Locke and the rest, were tremendously excited by this new dawn of reason as, as a way of leading humanity forward, and they thought they could found a nation based on reason. And, and what they didn't realize was there was going to be a counter-Enlightenment, there were people who reacted very strongly against this idea. Some of them were just reactionaries. They were people whose power was threatened, for example, like church leaders or monarchs who were threatened by this, especially threatened by democracy, of course. Mm -hmm. um, and we tend to dismiss people who resist, who resist uh, Enlightenment thinking as just reactionary or backward or whatever. But actually, many of them were very well-educated, very intelligent, deeply thoughtful, including some of the greatest thinkers and artists and writers in history, like the Romantic poets, for example, or the uh, Irish uh, philosopher and politician Edmund Burke, um, an Italian philosopher not so well-known now called Giambattista Vico. These were very, very smart, thoughtful people, and they resisted the idea that, the re that reason could be the ultimate authority uh, on the subject of what we know and what we should do. They, they obviously recognize the power of it to create things like science, mm -hmm. but they said it's nowhere near enough. It's, it doesn't capture the full mystery and meaning, especially meaning of life. A, a life that's only uh, lived according to reason feels meaningless, which I think is something all of us can actually relate to. It's something we suffer from in modern society. What does it need to be, the, the, the society that is ultimately created, does it need to be uh, and everything to somebody. I mean, is was there a thought that it was taking on a greater role than it really needed to? I mean, we're just trying to figure out a way of getting a group of people to be able to peacefully coexist and decide how to govern themselves, not necessarily look to the government as a way of being able to uh, be the, the be-all and the end-all for uh, a people's right. existence which, you know, seems to make all the sense in the world and, and is the way many of us who do live within this Enlightenment modern world live. We consider questions of meaning and morality to be private questions. 
and not the business of the government or society at large. And in fact, what we want is a tolerant, pluralistic society that can accommodate multiple religions and no religion and multiple cultures. Um, however, that very compartmentalization that you, you and I are talking about right now is also a symptom of the distress that this uh, division causes. There are a great many people who don't want to live that way. And as I say, even those of us who embrace it, and I do, uh, talk about anxiety and alienation and doubt as our constant companions in life, because we have lost the certainty that used to be provided by believing that your particular religious faith was the revealed truth of God, for example, or that your nation had a great destiny and you were a part of it. Uh, instead, we're kind of cast out alone into a, you know, a, a, a potentially hostile and oblivious, which is even worse in a way, universe that doesn't care whether we live or die. Mm -hmm. And many people find that intensely distressing. Um, and even if they're not having an existential crisis about it, many people are deeply attached to their cultures and to their land um, and don't like the idea of a kind of, you know, to use the word globalist uh, culture that's that isn't tied to any particular location. And these were some of the things that the original counter-enlightenment thinkers objected to most strenuously. They say there's, there is a difference between a German and a French person and an Italian, for example, and it's, it's very much related to the land they grew up in and their cultural traditions, and it's, it's wrong to pretend otherwise. Um, unfortunately, also, a part of identity very often is race, which is not actually a scientific concept, but people believe that it's real. And so people tend to think there's an essential character to a race, like the German race, the Italian race, or African races, you know, most notoriously, and that you can rank them in a hierarchy. And so the very, very dark side of the counter-enlightenment is racism and bigotry. Um, mm -hmm. Wagner, who, you know, one of the greatest composers in history, was a deeply counter-enlightenment thinker. Uh, who was trying to express in his work the essential spirit of the German people and tell the story of German history. And he wrote some of history's most beautiful music, but he also was one of history's most hateful anti-Semites. Um, that, that's part of this as well. Uh, with us right now, Spencer Critchley. His book is Patriots of Two Nations, Why Trump Was Inevitable and What Happens Next. And we'll talk more with Spencer in a moment on KDK Radio. Good evening, I'm Angino. With me, Spencer Critchley, author of the book Patriots of Two Nations, Why Trump Was Inevitable and What Happens Next. Uh, Spencer, uh, so you see Trump as a byproduct of where we are or where we were, uh, not so much of one who created where we are today? That's right. I, I think he opportunistically and I think potentially even instinctively and intuitively exploited the opportunity that already existed. He's a classic demagogue, meaning he exploits nationalism and nationalistic identity and ethnic identity and fear of outsiders and the other um, in order to essentially just excite people's emotions and especially their fear and their, their fear-driven hatred and resentment. Uh, and turn that into his own political power. This is a classic playbook of demagogues throughout history. 
uh, including Eugene, or sorry, not Eugene McCarthy, <laughs> Joe McCarthy. Um, by the way, and it's, I think it's, it's you know, a very meaningful, um, hardly a coincidence that uh, McCarthy's lawyer also became Trump's lawyer and one of his chief mentors. But yeah, he didn't uh, create this, as I say. It's been essentially, I think, the origins are in the founding of the country. And we've seen it uh, rise up and recede repeatedly throughout history. The worst form of it was the Civil War, which was, first of all, fought over slavery, of course. Uh, but it was also a revolt of the counter-Enlightenment world, as I'm describing it, against mm-hmm. the Enlightenment. The South was very much like Wagner's Germany in this way. It saw itself as bucolic and innocent and noble um, and based in uh, the land and traditions and very much based on ethnic identity. And it saw the North as industrialized, overly rational, cold-hearted, soulless, immoral, um, and corrupt and dishonest and financialized. And you can hear how that um, not only traces back to Wagner, who cast Jewish stereotypical characters as the villains who had the same characteristics as, as the way I just described the North, but down to the present day when you hear these conspiracies about George Soros supposedly running you know, this evil cabal of Jewish financiers that are secretly running the world, it's essentially um, the same uh, conflict between these counter-enlightenment and enlightenment worldviews. So enlightenment um, thought that we would be able to see an issue, and then you present your view on how to address the issue, and I present my view on how to address the issue, and then we'll come to some type of a consensus of what is the best way to go about doing this. We have, it sounds as though what you're describing is that we've devolved into, here's the problem, but the biggest problem is not what we're facing, it's the fact that I'm good and you're evil. Yes, this, this division creates the opportunity to exploit the divide in moralistic terms, which is what demagogues always do. Um, <clears throat> and we, on, on the Enlightenment side, and you know, by descendants of the Enlightenment, I'm referring not just to political liberals, but small-l classical liberals, which would include moderate conservatives, everybody who believes in the Enlightenment tradition of reason and democracy and the rule of law and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I mean when I refer to liberals. Uh, we have, in a way, unintentionally created this opportunity by leaving the gap where meaning is supposed to go, where the meaning and purpose of life is supposed to go, and leaving that up to the individual as a private choice. And so demagogues can swoop in and promise to satisfy people's hunger for meaning and purpose in their lives, especially when they're under stress, like post-World War I Germany, for example, when the Germans were feeling humiliated after their defeat and shocked by the defeat and then went through tremendous economic hardship. Um, <clears throat> when the Civil War saw their slavery economy under threat and were, when they, sorry, when the Confederacy saw the slavery economy in danger and, and chose to defend that evil institution because they were so terrified of you know, losing uh, on the economic front and, and on the cultural front. So the moralism uh, is, is a tool that gets used. Now, this happens in the other direction as well. People on the liberal side of this will cast Trump supporters, for example, as you know, some mixture of stupid or evil, and this is routine, and that's been... Uh, a pattern for a long time as well. It's one of the last remaining acceptable bigotries is to talk about rednecks and this sort of thing. Um, but it, we don't have to have things be moralistic that way. And in fact, in a functioning democracy, political differences should never be moral differences because we 
should be operating within a moral a set of moral boundaries that are around democracy and this is a set of shared assumptions that we all believe in the essentially moral values of equality freedom justice and democracy itself and this i think describes where we are now that's that has broken down that shared morality if you will and as that breaks down we are now seeing people engaged in behavior that is not just something we disagree with or even strongly disagree with the way i would disagree with support for trump mm-hmm. we are now seeing actually dangerous immoral behavior like the assault on the capitol for example and we can't take the time to understand that kind of behavior you know i think i kind of understand where it's coming from in in the terms i'm describing but that that behavior is simply wrong and dangerous and has to be stopped and there has to be accountability for well, that. If kind this of is something, Spencer, if this is something and we, we're running out of time here, I got like ninety seconds, uh, that we've been battling since the founding of the country, what gives you hope that this battle can continue on and eventually end where what we were intending when we started this? endeavor the shortest version is we have to reestablish shared values people on our side of the fence have to stop trying to win this as a rational debate it's never going to work we have to reestablish shared values um, but in the most immediate term now given the crisis we're going through uh, we have to just defend democracy and there has to be accountability for the people attacking it and i think we're going to have to go through a painful truth and reconciliation process like germany south africa northern ireland did and that we we never did after this after the Civil War, and we must do that. And I think it's actually going to take decades. Well, Spencer Critchley, he's author of the book Patriots of Two Nations, Why Trump Was Inevitable and What Happens Next. Spencer, great talking with you this evening. Thank you very much for your time. Oh, thank you. I appreciate your time. Absolutely. Have yourself a good evening. Uh, Once again, Patriots of Two Nations, Why Trump Was Inevitable and What Happens Next, available online at all the usual places where you like to uh, get your books if you want to read it for yourself. Uh, Stay right there. We'll check in with Jim Bohannon coming up in just a couple of moments and uh, a lot to uh, look at for tomorrow's show as well. We'll give you a little bit of a peek coming up in a moment on KDK Radio.